Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And we're here to kick off the lead up to WrestleMania with a look at No Holds Barred. Written by Dennis Hacken, even though Hogan takes some credit. Directed by Thomas J. White and starring Hulk Hogan, Tommy Tiny Lister, Kurt Fuller, and Joan Severance. This movie grossed $16 million at the box office with a budget projected to be around $8 million and was released on June 2nd, 1989. Jay, why are we <laughs> reviewing this film? Well, well, you said it in the intro, man. It's the lead up to WrestleMania. Those of, this, uh, those of our audience who may not be aware, Brian and I actually met because of an old show you used to do on the internet called The Daily Suplex, which was a review of the wrestling promotion show. And I've been a fan of wrestling for years, and so have you. And so when we were, you know, we still both watched the, the wrestling from time to time. And especially when it comes to around WrestleMania time, that's usually when the biggest number of viewers get involved because that's the big show of the year. It's the Daytona 500, the Super Bowl of pro wrestling. And as we were kicking around movie ideas here for Film Strip, folks, we thought we've got to do a Hulk Hogan movie leading into WrestleMania, the king of WrestleMania. Why not? And if you're going to do a Hogan movie, I mean, you've got some to choose from, but you got to go with where it, it really kicks off. I know Rocky Three is a big thing for people, but he's only in that for like 10 minutes. We had to do no holds barred because, as you said, bro, this was a huge lead up. They built this thing up for months. They even carried it on into the WWF promotion at the time by bringing characters from that movie into the WWF events that were on television and on pay-per-view. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this was 1989, so uh, Hulk Hogan was really, really big at the time, really popular. It was before the whole steroids trial for Vince McMahon. It was before WCW really became anything. So this was this was WWF's big game. WCW was really a Southern thing at the time. It, had to, it would take another couple of years before that became big. Big. So Hulk Hogan was a phenomenon in the world of sports, I guess, because even at this point in time, uh, kayfabe, which is a, a, a wrestling term for uh, you know keeping things secret, that that was still alive in the wrestling business. People weren't uh, openly admitting that things were scripted and fake in 1989 yet. That didn't really come out until the steroid trial of Vince McMahon when they had to openly admit publicly that things were scripted. So a lot of people, I mean, there was no internet at the time. All you really had to go on to tell you anything other than this was all going on and real was your intuition, which should have told you that this stuff was fake, or the dirt sheets, which many people didn't even know existed. So most people watching wrestling didn't know what extent things were scripted. Yeah, I mean, it's it, even the wrestling publications of the day, the magazines you would buy, they just purported the suspension of disbelief. You know, and, and you have to, when you watch this movie, folks, and I'll say this, you know, a lot of times we get feedback from listeners and we love all of it. Sometimes you guys like watch things because you know we're going to review them or you watch them after we reviewed them and stuff. You have to accept that this existed in a world before we all kind of knew or were at least let in on in a mass way that the secret's out. You know what I mean? Like, you have to understand that that's the world this movie was made in. So it, it operates on that level. And in some way, I guess all movies do, but it's kind of like when you go watch a movie like Batman, uh, Tim Burton, 
you kind of have to accept that the cartoon world is real around you, or maybe like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You know, you have to accept that with this no-holds-barred world. Now, Brian, I want to ask you a question. You said in the intro there that Hogan takes a lot of credit for writing this. What's the story on this script? Well, it's interesting. You get a couple different stories. Uh, Hulk Hogan in the WWE, WWF version of his book, he's got two autobiographies out basically going over the same type of stuff. But uh, in the WWE version of the autobiography, he says that a writer came in and wrote the, you know, Dennis Hacken came in, wrote the script, and it was so bad that he and Vince McMahon had to go back and, and rewrite everything, uh, and that they, they basically stayed up for 48 to 72 hours straight writing the script on a pe- with pencil and paper, okay, in a hotel room. Now, in his other autobiography, which came out more recently, he does state that... Um, they they wrote it and that a writer was then brought in to clean it up so whichever version it is who knows but hulk hogan takes a lot of credit for writing this film can i tell you i believe the second version of that story this sounds like something concocted over a lot of good times (laughs) in a hotel and we'll leave it at that as, as far as accusations go and that they bring in somebody to shape it into a script and a film of, of whatever it might be. I mean, the well, we'll get into it, I guess, as we go through this thing, Brian, but the breaks in this thing are a little off. But it, <laughs> it does feel like to me that the genesis of this came from Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. And I'm going to point out several instances where I, I – I can almost prove that, I think. Yeah. And that the writer really was brought in to just try to make something of this. I think it's funny that Hogan said it was so bad that they had to fix it, and years later kind of recanted on that. Yeah. Because he's probably being more honest the second time around. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, hmm. the, the first book is really, you know, Vince McMahon has complete say over what goes into it. So the second book was done on his own. He has more ability to say what actually happens. So yeah, I tend to agree the second version as well, where Vince and him probably stayed up with a, a nice binge on some kind of uh, a drug of choice and uh, wrote this bizarre movie, get, turned it in, and then they had a professional come in and fix it, I guess, if they re- if you could really call it fixing it. <laughs> Well, fi- fixing it, I mean, I could have only imagined what shape it was in before it got into a professional stand. <laughs> but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Well, Brian, we got to do this like we always do. Kick us off with a plot summary, if you will, please, sir. All right. Here we go. Rip, played by Hulk Hogan, is the World Wrestling Federation champion. That's right. They use the World Wrestling Federation in the movie. And he wrestles exclusively for a television network. Brell, the head of a rival television network wants to get rip to switch to his station wrestlers apparently are free agents in the movie for all tv stations he wants to get hogan so he can build up a new more violent version of the sport when rip declines brell tries to have rip beat up by his thugs because all network reps have thugs brell then goes ahead and starts a new wrestling program called the battle of the tough guys yeah, I can now believe that Hulk Hogan actually wrote this. Anyway, Brow finds an ex-con named Zeus to destroy all competition and try to get Rip to fight him. To get Rip to fight him, Brow sends in Samantha, who is a corporate spy, to seduce him. Instead, she falls for his charm and decides to confess to Rip and join his team. 
Burrell, unable to convince Rip to fight Zeus, dispatches Zeus to beat up Rip's brother Randy, putting him in the hospital when Randy identifies himself as Rip's brother during an illegal fight he attends. Uh, Rip finally challenges Zeus to a match, and Burrell kidnaps Samantha and threatens to kill her if Rip doesn't take the fall. Rip ends up winning, and Burrell is electrocuted while trying to get away from him. And that is the movie in a nutshell. Brian, what is that? <laughs> that is not a movie. That can't be. That sounds like something that would play out over a series of Saturday night's main events in 1989. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think it did. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, really, really. There is so... Oh, folks, I'm t- if you're wrestling fans, and especially if you're WWF, WWE fans, I'm going to tell you something. If you watch this, you will see how much of this Vince McMahon really believes in. Uh. He's still holding on to some of these little gags and these tropes and these stories. He's still holding on to some of this. It is amazing to me. I was blown away. <laughs> and this is not the first time I've seen this. It's just been years since I've seen this movie, and I know now why it didn't. I, my brain must have it raced it at some point because I remembered so little of it watching it, but I, I will tell you it makes an impression. I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. What is yeah. this? <laughs> I, I can honestly tell you that watching it again for the first time in years, I remembered every single bit of it. Because when I was a kid, Hulk Hogan was my hero growing up. And I watched this movie probably 50, 20 times, or 50, 100 times <laughs> yeah. when I was a little kid. I, so, I got to say, did you did you say your prayers and eat your vitamins yeah. or say your vitamins and eat your prayers watching yeah, this? Well, because you know. seriously, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting movie. Let's walk through some of this and, and try to make some sense on, on what happens, because this movie, uh, you can tell that this was written by uh, a wrestler and a wrestling promoter because oh, only it's, someone all like of it that is, can it, come up with this. <laughs> I'm convinced that the only real dialogue is ad-libbed by the actors giving it because there's, the you know, Hulk Hogan, three-fourths of, or half of his lines are grunts and groans. Almost all of Zeus's lines are just grunts and groans. There's there's nothing, there's not even a good cutting of a promo. No, I, if thing. I'm not mistaken, uh, the only time Zeus has any lines in this movie is when he's on the TV station challenging Rip to a, a match. That's it. <laughs> that is I think correct. That's the that only lines Tommy, uh, Tommy Lister actually had to learn. Now, now we have seen him in a previous retrospective, Brian. He was one of the prisoners on the boat scene in The Dark Knight. He's ultimately the one that makes the moral choice and throws the trigger out the window. And so, that's him, folks. That guy, 25 years before, <laughs> or whatever, was in this thing. And I, he, he still looks pretty good, you know, for his age. He's seen him in Dark Knight now, but... Oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin. I guess you could open with the opening match... I, I watch this, Brian, and I see Hulk Hogan rip whatever coming out of the back, and he's like snarling like a dog. Well, and slobber is flying from his face. You, if you remember Hulk Hogan in the early to or the mid to late '80s when he was at his top of his game, he, that's what he did. He would come out with his headband in his mouth like a dog growling, coming to the ring, ready to put up a fight. So, I mean, this whole movie yep. is based on Hulk Hogan's character in a different uh with a different name pretty much the I, moves why didn't they everything i mean we see yeah. in the opening match he uses the double axe handle for the finish folks that is Hulk Hogan's finishing move in Japan 
Wow. Why not use the leg drop? They do everything else. He does the big boot, the Hulk up. The only things different are the colors of the tights, the hang loose hand thing that I'm going to get to in a minute, and the, the finish. Why not just use the whole package? It's a good question. And actually, uh, Hulk Hogan, more known for the red and the, and the yellow, did wear oftentimes yellow or uh, white tights and sometimes blue tights when he wrestled, mostly during... Uh, house shows and lesser shows like the Madison Square Garden shows he would do that kind of stuff but he, he was known to wear different colors uh, but obviously everyone knows him for the, the red and the, and the yellow um, yeah no I don't know this opening match it, it kind of uh, you know starts off you get Jesse the Body Ventura and Mean Gene Oakland on the mics calling the match and right away you're thinking oh. man this is are we watching a WWF pay-per-view here or are we watching a movie because we're getting the same thing we would if we turned on TV Oh, it's, it, but it was a good memory, too, because growing up watching that, uh, those were your favorite people. I mean, they were half the show, I would say, Brian. They were as entertaining as most of what went on in the ring. Jesse Ventura, you know, there's a generation of people that have only grown up with him as the governor or ex-governor of your fine state of Minnesota. Or not job, and they is now. Yeah, I mean, they are, you know, the conspiracy theorists now on the History Channel or whatever, they don't know what he was when he was, most people don't know who he was as a wrestler, because that ended long before many of us were around, but most of them don't even know this character, and this is before he did, you know, movies and all that kind of stuff in, in widespread era, this guy just had this voice and this way of going off and, and setting up and putting over wrestlers on TV, it was amazing, there's a whole generation of wrestlers who half of their ability to connect with an audience is based off the way Jesse Ventura either railed against them or behind them. And most of the time it was against them. Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, the WWF product back then, you watch it compared to the NBA product doesn't even compare. The WWF product has less good wrestlers. They're not that, I mean, it wasn't a great product. It took a Jesse Ventura who is by and far the greatest heel wrestling commentator in the history of this business. It took him to really put over him and Gorilla Monsoon really put over that product as crappy as the wrestling was most of the time from the WWF. They made it entertaining and fun. And that's why I became a wrestling fan. Uh, you didn't get a whole, I mean, if you, you watch some of today's product and you got Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler doing commentary. They ruin the product more than they help it. Jesse Ventura made that product what it was. He made Hulk Hogan a bigger star than he should have been because of how he reacted to Hulk Hogan every time he saw him. So yeah, it was awesome hearing Jesse's voice in here because you don't hear it anymore unless he's spouting some weird belief of his or i don't know it's bizarre but yeah, that was a cool open but again you got to see right away in the beginning of this how the wwf did things back then you get a really bad match between hulk hogan well, and his well, opponent you, no you got the standard hogan match <laughs> he would go in there it was a couple of grapples then the guy would get on top of him and do the move the sleeper in this case or whatever and and would almost have him done and then all of a sudden Hogan starts hulking up so or I call it in this case he starts ripping up you know and, and he gets you know uh, and he does something and then all of a sudden it's boom boom fist to the face big boot and then the finish and that's it that, I mean that's your standard Hogan match that's exactly what it was back in the day Hogan would take 
take abuse for 90% of the match, and the last 10%, he would come back and win. That's uh, just how it went. Yeah. It was a standard formula. It worked. But, it brought in a ton of money. People love to see it. That's just how it was. Well, and that's and that's how it works in the story, because my favorite scene in the opening is not the opening match. It's what happens right after. It's the meeting in the boardroom where we're introduced to World Television Network executive Mr. Brell, played played so uh, over the top by Kurt Fuller, who's always a bad guy in everything he does. And I love I love his whole thing. We're last to the ratings again. You know, he's just going off on his people. And now you realize that not only is wrestling a hot product, it is one that TV executives will yell, scream, pitch fits, and kill over at this point because he has that great line about, I want him on our network, 10 o'clock tomorrow, boardroom, talk to me. And I was like, really? I mean, uh, he his reaction was half as good as the match's reaction in that <laughs> loaded stadium. Well, I, I, I like the character there. I thought it was hilarious. This guy is a bizarre character, and we'll get into it as we go along here. But I do want to tell you, you know, wrestling was a huge money maker for television stations in the 80s uh, and all the way into the early 90s and then would become again in the mid to late 90s uh, before really kind of dying down to where it is today. But back then, I mean, there were stations all over clamoring to get wrestling on from whoever in the south you had tbs and turner broadcasting doing the nwa shows uh, with crockett promotions that that was huge in the south and in the in the texas area you had wccw world-class championship wrestling run by the von erics and that brought in huge ratings in memphis you had jerry lawler and jerry jarrett running memphis championship wrestling that brought in huge numbers of tv partners and then of course you had vince mcmahon who dared to go against the norm and take on every territory and pretty much win at doing what he wanted to do and taking over the whole nation as a territory and getting his product out there it took a while to get that product over in the south numerous times he tried but it finally did happen and so yeah you can see they're going off of this uh, the way that it was kind of back then. Wrestling brought in people's eyes for some reason. And so you can uh, understand back then that a TV exec would want to get wrestling on their station. Well, so, so his whole setup is he convinces his underlings to essentially get ripped there for a meeting, right? Because he's going to try to get him to convince, he's going to try to convince him to come to work for him or whatever. And, <laughs> of course, this is this is part of the setup that just I, I don't know. I bumped up against this, Brian. Okay, maybe you can help me make sense of it. He's you know all this is what people want, and they keep telling him, but he's under contract to another TV, and that, like you said, they're free agent. You know, wrestlers are free agents to TV networks. Essentially, they're tied to TV networks, and and you know, I mean, in some ways, I guess that's kind of true. But I love how they set this up, is because it, it's hilarious and it's preposterous in the same light. Is that well, contracts are nothing but words, is what Braille keeps saying, and his guys are like, but Rip's word is his bond and I'm like he's physically superior and morally superior yes Hulk Hogan is yeah. perfect in every now, way what I like about this is, is that uh, in a sense it's Vince McMahon telling the world who he was as a wrestling promoter because this is what he did he went out to the other territories around the world Portland you know the Crockett Mid-South Memphis Texas all of those territories and what did he do 
I don't care if you have a... Back then, it was your word is your bond. That is how wrestlers worked. They said, I'm going to be here for six months. They were there for six months. Vince McMahon came along and he said, you, you're big in Portland. I want you to come work for me. I'll pay you double what you're making here. What do you say? And that really, that's what he did. He took wrestlers from other companies based on a checkbook and brought them into his. So answer me this. Is Brell supposed to be McMahon? Because that was my first question. Yeah, I would say Brell is a... I don't know if McMahon intended for it to be him, but yes, that is the okay. ruthlessness of Vince McMahon's work. <laughs> I don't know if he's ruthless or insane. That's the thing. <laughs> because that... I mean, we got to talk about it here. He's He's got Rip there, right? And he's... he's you know, oh, this is a blank check. Do whatever you want. You know, yeah. and it's uh, and I could see, and, and in some ways, it, I'm going. Nobody would ever do that, but in other ways, I'm like, but I could see a wrestling promoter Ted saying Turner something. Did that. Yeah, Ted did that. I mean, yeah, that happens. So I, I'm like, okay, so that's not. I mean, granted, that happened much later than this film, but that obviously is not too weird. But anyway. I love how all of a sudden when Rip's like, no, I'm not going to be here. And he's all calm. You know, Hulk Hogan in his calm voice is so weird because it doesn't fit him at all. It's this really deep sort of professor voice almost. It's it's kind of unnerving in a way, in its own way. And he gets up to leave and the guy's like, I find that a little hard to swallow. My money's not good for you. And then he takes <laughs> he the gets- check and goes <laughs> rabid dog on the dude. I won't be here when this clears and shoves it down his throat. I'm well, like, seriously? What I thought was hilarious is that Hulk Hogan is this mammoth of a guy. Brell is this typical you know normal sized dude and he's getting up in his face as if he's gonna take on a hulk hogan or a rip here as if he's gonna take him on to convince him to sign that check but i actually thought it was quite funny scene when he's looking at the check they're all laughing thinking he's gonna sign it and he just grabs him and shoves it down his throat what a what a scene. The best part is he stops at the door and gives the hang loose on the way out yes, the door. Now, at, yes. that, at that point, <laughs> I realized they are trying to create or co-op something uh, into that's going to be the new thing. And it's that's sort of like his signature, you know, of walking out the door. I called it in my notes. It's like, that was the pwned of its day. You know, there was no <laughs> internet, so you had to do that to people. And I was like, what? I mean, I don't, where the hell is that? Oh, and the best part is, is that Brel has it all set up so that when Hope or when Rip gets into the limo, the limo driver is taking him to a warehouse to get attacked by the network's thugs. Yes, <laughs> like, as you hell? said, all networks have thugs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, really, they they go. Uh, I guess if they can't have him, murder's the next option. Sure. Yeah, I'll beat him into submission. You know, beat him up because that'll get him to sign with your network. Yeah, good idea. Then it leads to one of the greatest scenes in the whole movie. It, after Rip has done dispatching the thugs, he goes oh. after the the limo driver who has shit himself. <laughs> I, it's it's infamous, folks. Go go, put it on YouTube. No holds barred, Dookie. Just put those words in, and that's exactly what you will get. Is oh. I, and I, but you missed the best part. They surround this limo, and Rip 
leaps through the roof like he's <laughs> freaking right. Batman or something. <laughs> and I mean, smoke <laughs> is everywhere. And then the light 80s rock pop comes on while he goes spots <laughs> on these guys and does all these power moves. One guy, like he's supposed to slam him over the car and all he really does <laughs> is just sort of slide him on the roof. It's <laughs> great. I, I was like, this is the worst stunt ever. And you uh, can tell it's Hogan at all times. And a bunch of stuntmen that don't know how to take bumps. Oh, it's, oh, it's so obvious. I'm like, you couldn't have got like your jobber league to come in there and attack him? Because at least those guys would know how to flail around. These dudes are so stiff, they might as well have just been mannequins. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, I totally forgot about the leaping <laughs> roof of the limo. That was great. But, but the, uh, when he's holding the limo driver, all he's doing is... What's that smell? like a dog. I know. I'm like, what are you going to do? Bite the guy? Now you're going <laughs> to hike your leg up on him? Jeez, man. Go get a tetanus shot. I mean, really. Oh. The, and we're supposed to believe that that guy... <laughs> 20, you know, 10 minutes later is going to be sitting down eating at a French restaurant and yeah. knows the, the whole menu. I, that, not 10 minutes later, but you're, 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 you're getting ahead here to the next scene where we meet corporate spy Samantha. Who's Straight there. out of Dynasty, I want to yes. say. Looks oh, like God, just yeah. like it. That that huge '80s hair. Yeah, she's there to, I guess, take over the marketing of the Rip brand. Is that where you got off of it? I I got that she was like some sort of independent PR consultant or a PR firm, and she was taking him on some kind of big publicity tour, and they were going to do this whole. You know, uh, I don't know. They were gonna they were gonna really promote the brand, and he's all like, oh, "I'm all about charity in my spare time." Because once again, he's morally superior. Let's not forget that. We need to reiterate that after he's you know nearly killed everybody in the garage, <laughs> he's morally superior and he loves the kids. But oh, we're we're just building the brand. We could do energy drinks and sportswear, and I I mean, but it sounds like something that would happen today with an athlete, or or would have happened with the Hogan brand. Because look, man, he was on everything. Yep, and I think it does. But what I liked about this scene the most is that there you have Rip, like, eyeing Samantha up and, like, totally not listening to anything she says and just like, yeah, mm -hmm, I could could have you. Yeah, if I want you. Oh, oh, he's totally, (laughs) he is totally eyeballing her, dude. It is terrible. And it's so... Oh, it's just, it's really uncomfortable in some ways. I think I'm also, I'm looking at this from a 21st century perspective, too. And, you know, and having someone who really grew up in my teenage years and stuff in the 90s, for the most part, you know, that ended because you you went to jail for doing that now. You get killed. There are 48 hours mysteries about people who've been murdered for that kind of stuff. So, you know, that, that wouldn't happen now, but. I was like, this is such a different time when he could he could be the male chauvinist pig and she would just have to take it. And I was like, oh, this is just so awkward. Yeah, so she makes the move and, and that seems to uh, take him aback. But then again, we're looking at 1989. The women didn't make the first move a whole lot back then, so not too surprising. And then they go to a French restaurant and my favorite thing I, I wrote down in my notes, one of the, my favorite things is that every time Rip sits in a chair, it cracks. 
Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah everything it all creaks because we're supposed to be in awe of his physical presence. <laughs> his 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 six eight three hundred and three pounds, twenty six inch pythons. They just crack everything around him at all times. He is, but I loved how she set it up. I mean, everybody's directives in this. I mean, this is the sign of the script. It's like they're reading the set direction for the script. You know, boardroom tomorrow, dinner, dinner, dressy. You know, I mean, everybody's just. I mean, it's like they're reading subheads or something. That's so weird. And then they do the oh man, the French waiter joke went on way too long. It's like oh, those yeah. moments in the ring that went on way too long. That one Would went you on. Like way the hamburger or the footlong hot dog. I know, I know, really. I'm like, and then of course, you know, the whole the chef and all this stuff come out. It's off the rip, the rip. Yeah, you know, and you know, again, this guy's popularity is so huge that of course people at this restaurant would know who he is. And it's like, oh, uh, you thought I was the fish out of water, but it's really you. And then that, that's a little flirty fun for those two. It was, I mean, I was, I was really just going, seriously? I mean, but that went on way too long. That scene lasted entirely too long for me. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. The French waiter, as you would imagine a French waiter would be, cocky, arrogant, talking in French, making fun of the big jock American. Yeah, it was. uh, I think you're doing the accent better than the actor was. (laughs) I want to say, I'm impressed. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible scene. But my favorite part of that scene is the, uh, horrendous suit that Rip is wearing. That was the, hideous. The straight white on white. Oh my! Suit. With the huge dude. collar that oh, it just it was, looked, dude. It was Hogan it was in a suit. Not a good thing. <laughs> well, it was eighty nine, dude. So I mean, he was at the, he was at the bulk of his bulk. If you want to know, what, oh, you yeah. know, you know what I mean. Oh, and yeah. so that I mean. Clearly, they put him in stuff to make him look hulking. You know, he's supposed to look like he's coming out of everything he's wearing. So it's, yeah. uh, it's ridiculous. But yeah. but we go we go from one ridiculous scene to uh, another, though. Now, here's the thing, though. We go to, like, the fight club scene, right, where they're having the no-holds-barred fights at the bar. Now, tell me about this. This was ultimate fighting before UFC was even born, right? Dude, this is like... UFC the- wasn't even a blip at this point yet. No, no, this was just straight up bar fights for fun, you know, is all this was. I mean, it's underground. I wouldn't even call it wrestling. It's just, you know, the Tough Man Bare Contest. Bare knuckles fights, yeah. Yeah, and, and I remember Tough Man Contest before UFC came around and mixed martial arts and all that stuff. The Tough Man Contest, where you put two dudes in the middle of this semi-circular area, which we're going to get to what the shape of it is in a minute, and... And just let them go at each other, and they would use everything and anything at each other to to go at each other. It was brutal, and they went right to that, and it was such a... I guess, I don't know if what Vince McMahon is trying to say here, if like because his character is the one that's really for this. If he was wanting to go in a more extreme way than maybe wrestling was allowing on TV at the no, time, or, so. or, if that's, or if that's what the competition had tried to do to really counter what he had going on in the ring. I don't know which one he's trying to say he's for because they do a whole lot of these tough man fights in this movie. There's like, there's like four of them at least. Yeah, I think it was more a play on the fact that Rip is a professional and these guys are a bunch of amateurs trying to act like a professional. So I think that was more of what he was getting at. I don't know. Not sure because like I said, UFC hadn't really been born yet. I think it was at least three, four more years before the first UFC event even took place. Uh, so that wasn't that. He wasn't worried about them. 
So I, I'm not sure what uh, what that was really a metaphor for, but I do know that we do have a couple wrestlers that some people may actually recognize in these uh, in this scene. And the first being uh, Jose Deluc, who played uh, the bald guy with the the goatee in the ring at the time, fighting the blonde. Uh, he is a former wrestler who got a little bit popular back in the 70s and early 80s and uh, he kind of looks like mad dog vachon which is what i thought he was at first until i looked it up and then of course the waitress her her brother plays a character called neanderthal that's stan the man hansen who many many people who follow the japanese wrestling would know he was huge probably the biggest and most Everyone would say the toughest guy ever to step in a ring wrestling. This guy was brutal. It, there's a match you can find between him and Vader from Japan where he can't see. He's blind as a bat when he wrestles because he, he doesn't wear his contacts. So he's wrestling and, and Vader accidentally punches him in the nose. And he got so pissed he actually rips Vader's eyeball out during the I've match. I have seen that. It's I have seen brutal. That. Oh. this guy. That's what they did back in the day. You know, if, if someone tried to take advantage of you, they went straight for the eyes and pulled the eyes out of the sockets because that hurts like oh. a mad mother, as you could probably imagine. Yeah. And well. that stops everyone else from what they're doing. They're not going to do much well. after you take their eyeball out. Well, that's what the, you know, and the, the execs call it out. They're like, this is sick and people love it. These people would cheer to hanging, you know, yep. and they just talk about how violent this is. And wasn't that a big knock in the late 80s on the wrestling promotions on TV was that, oh, we're promoting this culture of violence to our youth. It was before, before video games yeah, started getting blamed say, for everything. It's no different than video games yeah. now. Exactly. Before they started getting blamed for everything, the WWF was to blame for everything. But, you know, the best line in the whole scene, though, is from the waitress. You know, because she's taking drink orders and they're all ordering, like, scotch on the rocks and, you know, all these sort of fancy things. And clearly this is a beer joint. And she's like, I want to be laid, relayed, and parlayed, but ain't none of that happening tonight, boys. Now, what will you have? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was, that was the best line. And I, in my head, I'm like, that had to be something that the script guy put in there because I don't think Hogan or Norm McMahon were capable of, of such uh, witty poetry from, <laughs> uh, from the bowels of the world. I, I do love when they decide to... Um, sponsor this officially on the TV network. It's the Battle of the Tough Guys at the No Count Bar downtown. <laughs> the bar oh, yeah. is actually called the No Count. Yeah, it's terrible. And the, the place, I mean, it's so gritty and disgusting and gross. I mean, they go into the urinals and they're filled with piss and overflowing with piss and dirty. But my, my thought was, what the hell is a guard dog in the bathroom for? Did you see that? I, yeah, There's why? Dog why guarding the well, bathroom. I don't know. Maybe he was like the voice actor behind everybody, and they forgot to take him off screen. I don't know. It's just yeah. a gritty, gritty, disgusting bar. So anyway, they—they they, I don't know why they decided to hold this tournament at the same place, but <laughs> ratings gold, Brian. I mean, come on. <laughs> the cameras that they—they they put television cameras in there. It, it, it looks so out of place in this dump. <laughs> That's and they wouldn't survive. Look, the amount of money that it takes just to put something on television, the, the production value itself, that would be worth more than that whole building. All right? The union of videographers, they would have been a strike. There would, there would no way in hell that would have ever really got on TV without a lot of money greasing palms. But yet alone, it makes it on the TV because that's what has to happen in the script, right? We get this carnage on television. What did you think of the stupid name, the bad? Battle of the Tough Guys. I mean, really, you couldn't come up with anything better than the Battle of the Tough Guys. 
That really, I mean, I'm telling you, this reads like they're reading the set directions of where the script's supposed to go. They're like, "Well, what's this next scene called?" Well, I guess we'll call it "Battle of the Tough Guys." I mean, really, it's it is ridiculous. It it smacks of amateurism on all levels that we couldn't be. I mean, and we're, look, we're talking about the WWF here. It wasn't a, their whole product, as we've said, is based on the show. It's not on the wrestling, right? It's not on the in ring stuff. So they're good at the show. They can come up with stuff like SummerSlam and WrestleMania and Royal Rumble. They couldn't come up with the, you know, he didn't think of the Elimination Chamber back then. That would have been more appropriate. No, than it what actually would have been. This was, good. yeah, I mean, really. So, yeah, I'm with you. That was, ah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> well, anyway, you get, you get a, a challenge. Anyone who has the nuts to come in and, and fight to the finish, the last man standing will win $100,000, but not just $100,000, Jay, because that would be too easy this is one hundred thousand dollars tax free because i guess the network has some pull with the irs I, they're gonna pay i guess they're gonna pay them like 167 and cut it and i don't know i don't know what the tax rate was in 89 but yeah i'm with you i'm like how did you you know i'm pretty sure the irs would have a, have a question about that like, oh really <laughs> i mean especially since you broadcast it and we learned later it was the number one thing in its time slot. oh yeah everybody watched this and it's of course it's complete carnage there's there's bodies flying everywhere Yep, and hey, did you notice that we get an octagon ring? Now, my first question, Jay, to you is, do you think the people who finally did come up with the UFC based it on this movie? God, I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> um, I, you know, the Octagon thing has been around a long time. That was a Chuck Norris movie back in his heyday of films and stuff. It's a fighting ring. I mean, that's a that's a a common fighting ring for a lot of different venues besides wrestling. So I would I would say no. I, a matter of fact, I like to poll those in charge of the MMA major MMA events to see if they've actually even seen this film, <laughs> if they know it exists. Because I would bet that I would I would be on the winning end to say that they don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. So during these fights, we get to finally meet the villain of this whole movie, Zeus. We learn while he's fighting, because lo and behold, Hulk, or Rip and his family are watching this event on TV, because <laughs> everybody yeah. is, We apparently, because they got the best rating ever. But uh, they're watching on home, and lo and behold, Rip's current trainer used to train Zeus back in the day, but he had to let him go because the guy was untrainable. He didn't, you know, listen to direction and ended up killing an opponent after the match and spent time in jail. So he's fresh out of jail and okay. coming to take this 100 grand. Three three things that are wrong about all of this. All right, Rip would be watching it. You know that's one. But I can almost go there because we have, as we've established, the whole world watched this. But he has a trainer just like Rocky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's well known that look, the the wrestling guys they do a lot of training. They work a lot, but they don't just. It's not just one guy that goes and travels it's like he's got his little entourage there who are the two women with his brother i we never know who they are we got the we got the hose on the couch with with brother randy and i i don't know what is going on at this but then we get zeus who killed someone and got quote set up for a long time <laughs> well clearly not too long because here he is 
in the flesh, baby, and ready to go. And I love how when he comes on the screen and starts just wrecking everybody and he just uh, stares at the screen, he stares like through the TV at Rip. And Rip, Hogan does his best Sylvester Stallone <laughs> Rocky. He just gets this somber look, but it's sort of this cocked eyebrow thing. And it's like they're looking at each other through the TV. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Of course, uh, Burrell goes in and immediately announces Zeus the winner and dollar signs flowing in his eyes. He's, this guy's unbelievable, you know. Uh, yeah, after the, after the, the first match though that Zeus wins, he, he rips the opponent's hair from his head. Kind of like he's scalping the opponent. What'd you think of that? Very weird. I mean, I, I think they've already gone over the top with how bad the dude is. <laughs> and now they've just, now he's just completely gone. I mean, they already, they set it up. He killed someone. That's all you need. You know, he doesn't have to rip the dude's hair out. I guess it was just maybe Tiny Lister had like a certain number of snarls and growls. So you get paid <laughs> and, and he had to make the quota. It's the only thing I know, because there's the only reason for that to exist. Is I'm, I'm so bad. I kill people and I rip their hair out. You know, it was ridiculous. It really was. It was so over the top that it circled back around and fell on top of itself. That is very nice. Up next is the meeting that we talked about. They uh, announced that the show was number one. They crushed the competition. But my favorite line of this all comes from, yeah, but, uh, bro, we've got some telegrams from concerned viewers. Telegrams, ladies and gentlemen. Telegrams. <laughs> the original email. Oh, no, 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 just the 80s version of email. I guess the carrier pigeon would have been the original. The 1880s version of it. <laughs> yeah, God Lord. The they, yeah, have, well. they did have telephones that people could call. No. <laughs> They yeah, but telegrams, letters. man. I mean, there were commercials for telegram companies, man. I mean, uh, that, I remember that distinctly. That's, but what's funny is his reaction to it. Ah, so what? They still watched it, didn't that's they? Right. And I, that, that's another moment where I was like, this is Vince McMahon. That's right. This is supposed to be him in some weird little filter. Half of this guy's lines are Vince McMahon. And, and publicity uh, is good publicity. Exactly. There's no such thing as bad publicity. We went for that. So, and and of course, we immediately jumped to the second battle of the tough guys now in an industrial <laughs> arena. And this is where I know that Vince McMahon has held on to some of this, okay? Because I have seen that match at least once again. I saw The Rock and Mankind do that many years <laughs> after this was done. I've seen this match. It's on video games. It, you, I mean, this match exists in multiple forms. The WWE has never let go of that format, ever. Nah, and they never will. It works. Yeah, the Battle of the Tough Guys 2. So I, I like it, yeah. It's not just, you, just the TV just show anymore. You, it's number two. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the industrial area. <laughs> Battle of the Tough Guys. Oh, <laughs> yes. Samantha is then there to pick up Rip, and he meets. she meets Randy for the first time. Really nothing of concern there. I don't know why that was even bothered to be in there. But. Man, who is Randy? Who is that dude? It's He's got to be somebody. It's Rip's number one fan, his brother. 
Well, I know, but like, who is he in real life? Because oh. it had to be some reason to keep shoving him on the screen. Yeah, I don't even know. I didn't. Was he some jobber they were trying to get over? I don't recognize the dude. He's I don't fit. think so. I'm pretty sure he was just an actor. He wasn't that big, so I don't think he was a wrestler. For a minute, for a minute, I thought he was one of those late night infomercial workout dudes that you see now. But and upon Google, that that was not uh, true. I, <laughs> they kept they kept shoving that guy on the screen, and I was like, I don't care about Randy. Well, who the had, heck is they Randy? They had to shove him on the screen because he becomes a major part of the plot you know i guess it's the only reason that rip uh, really cares to wrestle anymore is to make his brother proud but make, his, make uh, my brother and that's in the theme song by the way too that that whole oh, <laughs> we, we'll go to that in a minute but yeah but so they go on this road trip into the roadkill cafe yes and and uh, what happens as they're there but two muggers come in and, and, and rip rips a chair one of those, uh, sw- uh, what is it? Bar stool. chairs, bar stools that is actually bolted into the ground. He rips it out of the ground and tosses it at two guys with a gun. And <laughs> ends up throwing food at them and everything and stopping them from mugging the restaurant. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. It's even better, man. Like, because it's all prayers and vitamins that he's able to do this with. But these guys forget they have guns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he beats the crap out of both of them while the Hank Jr. song, uh, All My Friday Friends Are Coming Over Tonight, plays in the background. And all I could think was, oh, wow, that was a song before Monday Night Football got it. Clay, and of course, when he's done, he, he's he got to put the coda. He throws the hang loose, the rip hand signal again oh, at these. Yes. I mean, he's just thwarted murder and mayhem and and that's what he and and the dudes are like laying there like like they're defeated opponents in a wrestling ring right it's like wrestling is real life all of a sudden there's no cops to arrest them nothing they're just in a pile on the ground yeah i I waited for the paramedics and the extra referee to come out from the back (laughs) and and throw a belt on the dude really i mean that ah uh, that was so and all that is there for is we took him in the french restaurant and she thought she had him and ah uh, and then he gets her in the roadkill cafe and you see how big of a humanitarian is i love my rip he loves my brother you know got all that going on and then the robbers come in and of course he single-handedly takes them both out and ah uh, it's I, I don't know what they're trying to prove with any of it i guess because they got to do 90 minutes they got to do something but Oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. I, I guess that Rip can overcome anything, including two guys with guns. I, I don't know. It's it's ridiculous. But even more ridiculous, Jay, is the next scene, the hotel scene. Oh, I mean, yes. uh, really? They, they go to a hotel. Her people have made different accommodation changes. There's only one bed. So logically, you take a sheet, you take a bunch of tape, and you hang a sheet in the middle of the bed so that whole rip can sleep on one side and sam can sleep on the other and you know it won't be like they're sleeping in the same bed or anything yeah because you know sexual tension in that room is so thick you can gag it with a spoon uh i I mean how ridiculous is that whole set and you learn later why that happens is that she's supposed to seduce the dude but at, at no time does he comes off like a a sixth grader reaction to this <laughs> girl. I can't touch the girl. And then he, you know, he's doing push-ups on the end of the bed. Oh God, that whole shot with her looking to, you think it's his butt and it's like the heels of his feet or whatever. And he's doing push-ups, <laughs> shaking the bed. And you talked about he breaking the chairs. He lays down on the bed. 
or he takes a bump to fall on the bed and it crashes beneath him because he's just so big and powerful that if he touches stuff, it falls apart. Well, you know what? He's also touching the plot and it's starting to fall apart. Oh, big time. And of course, when he breaks the bed, Sam rolls onto his side of the bed on top of him and she gets all ticked off and rips sides. He's going to go sleep in the lobby because you built bigger walls than I ever could. This is no, the, I, oh. I love how the the couch has more personality than you. I'm like, the couch has more personality than all of you combined. <laughs> yes. I didn't even see the couch in this movie, uh, and I'm already on its side. <laughs> it's so bad. So, so bad. And, of course, that cuts to the next scene where we actually learn that Sam is working for Brell here as they're talking in there, and Brell tells her how disappointed he is that she didn't seduce him when he had it all set for her to do so. And she's informing him that, you know, she she can't do it. She, she's got feelings for him. And it's just like, really? And she runs off before he can oh. attack her. Oh, no, he beats the crap out of her. Oh, well, he, he hits her he, in the He hits face. her, yeah. But then yeah. she runs off as he's uh, looking at his other execs as they're like, what the hell did you just do? She runs off, runs to Rip, confesses the whole thing, and Rip doesn't seem to give a crap. Yeah, exactly. And like they had this flirty little back and forth on the couch and they're like, no, I like you better. No, I like you better. And then they start sort of halfway making out. Oh, it was just ugh. terrible. Terrible. I was. I just felt dirty at that point. I was like, and of this course, is just... of course, we're <laughs> yeah. saved from the horrible, horrible makeout session by Zeus <laughs> coming on TV to challenge Rip to a match. Boy, when Zeus saves any scene, we are in trouble. <laughs> we have hit a new low because I love, this is his only line. Yes, it's Rip. I know you out there. I'm waiting for you. Yes, <laughs> yes, I challenge. I'm like, who the hell wrote that? Oh, I was like, Hogan and McMahon. I was like, and that passed. They had to probably. I can imagine the production oh, conversation. I'm, I'm sure. Where the- I'm sure McMahon said, <laughs> "Look, buddy." I know wrestling. I know how to write promos for wrestling. You just do what I say. You know, you know what? That would have worked in a in a promo on a wrestling show. Yes, but not <laughs> on like Oprah's couch where he or Sports Center where he's calling out Rip like that. And then we automatically go to the black helicopter scene of the movie where they must fly into the charity event and challenge Rip in oh. front of the kids. You know what, though? That whole scene before on the TV, it so reminded me of Hulk Hogan going on shows like Arsenio Hall, and they'd ask him about his <laughs> upcoming match, and then he'd go into character. It, it was just so <laughs> pathetic. So pathetic. Oh, uh- Man, I wanted them to go Ultimate Warrior at that point. I needed him talking about stuff that didn't make any (laughs) sense. Because at this point, that would have been an upgrade over any other dialogue we had had. I needed that, but we we didn't get that. I don't know if Zeus was capable of that. No offense to Tiny Lister. But it's his only line. I mean, that's the only one he gets. Because the next one, all he does is snort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. And, of course, you said that we go to the charity event. Rip is sitting there with all the kids. I think he's teaching them how to wrestle at one point. And then all of a sudden, what happens? A freaking helicopter drops out of the sky to to come to this charity event just so that Zeus can come and find out if Hogan, or I'm sorry, if Rip can will accept his challenge. Really? A freaking helicopter. 
I love how the TV guy, like, he, hey, see, he backed you down. Zeus is the new champ. I'm like, dude, do you own that belt? I know how wrestling promotions work, even at this point. I, Jim Crockett could have not walked up to Hulk Hogan and said, you're not the real champ. Ric Flair is. Nobody would have said that. Like, that's just well, so ridiculous. Actually, that's but, not and, true. And, that's not true. That, that right. did actually, those, those kind of things did happen. Uh, you know, Ric Flair took a lot of pride in being the best wrestler and he took any chance he could to rip on Hulk Hogan in the WWF at any time to anyone who listened and always issued challenges to Hulk Hogan that never got answered. Because Vince ignored yeah, but, them. But, Vince ignored yeah, them. Yeah, but he but, never landed a black helicopter at a Hulk well, of Hogan course not. charity of course event. Not. But you do, so. you do remember when, when Rick finally did jump ship to the WWF, what did he do? He brought the NWA title, and that's the first thing he did was say, I'm the real champion, Hogan, I'm coming for you. And they, they put it into a real-life situation. So, yeah, no, it probably doesn't happen a lot. But, fine, we, we can deal with that. Better yet, what was that all about? Because they walk away and get back on the black helicopter, which I will add this. The black helicopter's blades have no more stopped spinning than they get back on it and fire it back up. I know. So, so they're getting ready to leave, and like all the kids are like, say it ain't so, Rip. <laughs> like they're just crushed that he won't take that, on this angry man it reminded that grunts me, and snorts. It reminded me of Hogan Andre when Andre ripped the cross off of Hogan's chest and challenged him to match at WrestleMania. And Hogan <laughs> Hogan just was defeated and comes out on Piper's pit the next week, and Piper says, are you going to do it? And he says, I, I can't. Andre's my friend. I can't fight my friend. No, I can't accept this challenge. And they're like, Hogan, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so, Hogan. You're not backing down from this challenge. And then finally he says, yeah! You know, than that big Hulk Hogan voice. That's <laughs> but, what it reminds you know me what? of. That worked in that scenario because you see there's buildup. There's some reason for that today. I have he and Zeus don't know each other. They've only looked at each other through the TV screen yes. at that point. They don't know each other. So there's no there's no reason for him at all to think this guy seriously because he's already essentially disrespected this TV exec by shoving that check down his throat and beating the crap out of his guys in the Batman limo scene. So it's clear he doesn't care. That's that's why it's so hollow because there's no reason for him to be connected to this guy. Like, I'll tell you what would have fixed this, Brunt. If Randy, his brother, if they had gone and found Randy, the disgraced brother, and Randy was the, you know, Zeus or whatever, I could have at least gone with that. That's a better story than this, this yeah. random killer. Yeah. Well, claiming to be the real champion. Yeah, it's stupid. I agree. But then, you know, to make matters worse, we get the most unneeded, unnecessary scene in the whole movie as Sam is walking to her car in a parking garage and Burrell sends someone to actually rape her. Are you kidding me? Look, though the best thing is Rip comes in and runs the guy down on his motorcycle and like throws him through the trees. Ah. And I'm like, hit and Hit and run, kids. That's the rip way. And, of course, he gives him the hand signal because he can't do anything without accenting it with that damn hand signal. And who the One hell is he giving the hand signal to? Exactly. Who is that going to? I'm like, seriously, I, who is watching this 
fucking movie at this point. I don't even know. I don't know who, where, we're breaking every wall known to man. Uh, I can only imagine the substances that were fueling the part of this story. Like, we gotta have an action moment where he rescues Sam again for no reason at all. They don't pay that off in any way. She doesn't jump in his arms. They don't go screw. You get nothing off of this. It's just an excuse to show Hogan on his damn motorcycle. That's exactly, exactly. what it exists for. You got it right on there, too. But just seriously, this brow guy, how the hell did he get where he is? He's willing to do anything. He's willing to murder someone. Maybe, He's willing to maybe that's anyone. how. He's willing to <laughs> rape someone to send a message. Are you kidding me? Oh. Yeah, and then we get an- we get another tough guy fight, and then yet another industrial scene, and all it looks like they did is took the other industrial scene and just turned it around the other <laughs> exactly. direction. Uh, the whole point, and the, you the know, whole point of this scene was to you know show Rip's brother Randy and his buddy going to check out Zeus because you know we all know that Rip has already not accepted the challenge, so why Randy needs to go check him out, I'll never understand but he does and as they're leaving the place they run over brell and that's how you know brell's like oh you know leave him be you know this good also he looks he goes all right you know zeus is converting rip fans and then the friend stupidly spills that randy is rip's brother Eh, wrong thing to say because you got a psychopath running this show and and Zeus, of course, beats the crap out of him and puts him in the hospital. Well, and you know, yeah, and and you know, Zeus is. We've already established that Zeus is a, a little bit mentally unstable, right? I mean, we this has been well yeah. established in this movie. Who is dumb enough to go after him? Randy actually lunges at Zeus and hits him. Oh. What are you mm. thinking? I. I saw this happen on a different scale in the seventh grade, standing outside lunch. One of my friends decided one day he was just going to take on the one bad kid or the one bad attitude kid that wore camo pants and new karate just so he could prove how tough he was. And I want to tell you, I saw meat from my friend's lips hanging off of his braces at the end oh, of that. Yeah. It was this, I mean, he got his butt kicked for the same, and it's exactly what I thought when I saw this. I was like, the same me and all my friends were saying, dude, don't do it. This is a dumb idea. And sure enough, that ends badly. Oh, what a, what a stupid idea. But we got to have tension, right? There's got to be some reason to drive Rocky, I mean, rip back into the ring, right? <laughs> exactly. Somebody's got to die because we're, we're ripping that off. They don't, do not be mistaken, folks. Hulk Hogan's Rocky experience <laughs> has shaded a lot of what he's done in this movie, and he's ripping that off. So the, they put Randy in the hospital, and Rip goes berserk in that gym and starts to, I want him, bro. bro. The, the best part is he walks into this gym looking for Zeus, who has his own training facility, apparently, with not an octagon ring, but a squared circle in his uh, in his gym. But anyway, they've got the big brother monitor screens with Brell basically spewing propaganda to get Zeus fired up while he gets trained. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. It's, it's so it's so ridiculous. And then, like, he, of course, Hogan throws this broomstick or pole or whatever it is right at one of the closed-circuit TVs. And, of course, it hits dead center of the camera because we know he now has <laughs> incredible aim. So he does that. And it's like, I want him, bro, bro, you know, and they're going to get it. And then, of course, what, what do we get after that, right? We get Rip at Randy's side in the hospital, and then we get a training montage because we got to have Absolutely. one of those. <laughs> There needs to be something to show us, right? How it's going. I gotta do something for 10 minutes. What I love about the training montage 
Zeus is the one training, and all Rip is doing is taking care of his brother. So we're setting up the fact that Zeus, this overpowering monster of a man, is actually working hard to beat Hogan, but Hogan's doing nothing to work. He's not doing nothing to get ready for Zeus. He doesn't need to. He's already... He's already superior. He can take out robbers, and he knows French, and he can drive a motorcycle, and he can fight like Batman, dude. What does he need to right. do? <laughs> I mean, he's 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 holding vigil, waiting for Randy, Adrian, who hell ever to wake up and tell him it's okay to fight. And and then we go, and then and then it's time for the big fight, and we got to talk about the setup of the big fight, Brian, because this is where this thing finally goes completely off the damn rails <laughs> well you got brell who announces the match and you know then we get that montage and then what does he do he goes and he kidnaps sam because he he believes that that will get rip to do whatever he wants so he kidnaps sam threatens to beat her up if rip doesn't take the fall in the match after 10 minutes basically tells him you know, make it look good for 10 minutes. Uh, if you don't, you know, you may have two friends in a wheelchair. Wow. Yeah, really? I'm like, seriously, dude. <laughs> this, uh, this has gotten, we're in like Goodfellas mafioso land at this point. This is the Godfather has taken over wrestling. And it's, oh, it's so preposterous. Of course, we get the, the last fight, and this is what really disappoints me. They stage this last fight, and it's like every big Hogan fight of the 80s, right? It's, it, the, you know, there, were, there were the small big fights, and then there were the big ones. The Mania fight, the SummerSlam fight, you know, the, the big ones, right? Where it would go back and forth for a little bit, but he would really take his beating. Like, he would really get worked for five or six minutes, and these guys go all over the ring. They're out all over the place throwing chairs. I mean, this is hardcore before there was hardcore. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, scene. My favorite part comes when Zeus tears the ring apart out of nowhere, then rips the ring post out and tries to put it through Rip's chest. I mean, really? <laughs> uh, what the heck? It's a fight to the death on national TV. This thing became the running man in like two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, this is like gladiators it's, or it's something. Terrible. It was insane. My favorite, during the fight, you got all the security people who are supposed to be watching Sam in a different room, watching the fight and cheering like madmen. She's able to escape during this part. But the best is that she she escapes, and what does she do? She goes and sits in the audience. <laughs> They're after you. Why are you sitting in the audience? Yeah. Run out of there. No, she's got to go hey. lend her moral support to Rip. Yeah, because he needs it. Yeah, that's that's all he needs is to see her and Randy, and he starts ripping up. And he gets the hand signal, right? And he's just shaking, and it's it's insane. You know, so they're throwing this stuff at each other. Of course, what does he do? He double axe hammers Zeus off the top of, the, like, the TV production area, and he falls through the ring, and the way he's laying with his eyes closed and his head to the side, I'm like, I've seen that at the end of Mike Tyson's punch out. <laughs> I've seen it at the end of a lot of cartoons. Is he dead? We never because know. if he's dead, if he's dead, people are about to cheer the death of the evil Zeus. Cause rip the audio almighty powerful rip has double axe handled him right into hell. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, we never actually get a conclusion on that actually, because right after Zeus takes his fall and is out Brell, who's very upset 
gets the attention turned to him from Rip, and he goes backing up. While Zeus is getting his butt kicked this whole time, Brel is in the uh, audio-video room, ripping everything to shreds. He's tearing out the consoles, he's ripping out the wires and everything, and then... Uh, Rip turns his attention to Brel. He backs up into the wires he's just ripped and electrocutes himself to death. Yes, he did. He's dead. That's what I wanted to he's ask. Demised. So, so Vince McMahon kills himself in this movie by running like a scared chicken into live electrocuted electrical wires. If he's dead, why isn't everyone else standing on that podium dead? If that much <laughs> current is traveling through, everyone in the arena would be on fire. It would be mass <laughs> chaos. And what's great is the crowd cheers after Rip has murdered two people. That's what we've come. This is the end of the damn gladiator movie. I mean, really? And of course he hugs his brother, throws the, Sign one more time, and then we get the theme song. Brown, we got to talk about this theme song. Oh, for a yeah. You and I, before as, as the, friends of the sh- yeah, before, of the schlock eighties, it is. Okay, it is. Before we get to the theme song, I wanted to read something out of the original Hulk Hogan book about this end fight scene because this, my friends, it sums up the beauty <laughs> of the writing process for No Holds Barred. Here we go. I'm going to read right out of the book. It's called Hollywood Hulk Hogan, written by Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Michael John Friedman, published by WWE Press. Here we go. After a while, I got delirious. I was spacing in and out. And that's when we had to write the final fight scene between my character and Zeus, the guy we had set up as the villain. It wasn't happening, though. No matter how hard we worked at it, we couldn't get it right. So I told Vince, the hell with it. I'm going to the can. I was so tired that as soon as my ass hit the seat, my eyes closed and I started daydreaming. And in my daydream, the whole fight scene was playing itself out. And you know what? It was great. <laughs> all of a sudden I started all of a sudden I started yelling, I got it, I got it. I ran out of the bathroom and told Vince how it was gonna go down. From Zeus coming into the ring to his attacking me, to his ripping the ring post in half and trying to use it to like a sword against me. I told him to write as fast as he could. We didn't have a tape recorder or anything, so Vince just scribbled out everything I said. The hard part for me was keeping my eyes closed and and trying to spit everything out before I lost it. But when I was done, Vince had got it all down, and we had the type of fight scene we wanted. So this is a stream of conscience from someone who is on a three-day coke binge, probably sitting in the crapper. to come up, <laughs> sitting on the throne. <laughs> to I'm going to tell you, he should have flushed because <laughs> this is terrible. The the best part, I mean, everybody is dead at the end of this, right? That we got, <laughs> and then we have to go hug Randy and throw that damn hand <laughs> sign one more time. That had to oh, happen. It just blows my mind. I mean. <laughs> It's just unbelievable. I I don't know. Jay, we've mentioned it numerous times. How hard was it to come up with this fight scene? It's the same damn wrestling match you have every time you work. Exactly. It's not like... 
these guys do this. <laughs> look, folks, we got a reminder about these guys did this 270 days a year. It's not like they didn't dream this stuff up all the time. And they, they get writer's block on what to do. Hell, you've done everything else the audience expects you to do at this point. Why would you break from the norm now? Why try to be creative now? That is bull. That is, I, I, I believe half of it. I believe they were both so loped out and tired that Hogan went to use the bathroom and had a, like a hallucination exactly. or something. A and this dream. is what they came uh, up with. Yeah, this is ridiculous. I'm, oh, how preposterous. But it's, oh, it ends, like I say, with the inside. And then, Brian, we got to talk about the theme song. You and I are fans of the schlock 80s hair music. I mean, it's unapologetic. But I want to tell you, my friend, this thing takes the cake. It's, uh, for lack of a better term, amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Amazing in what direction in the is the wrong question? Because, in the and wrong. folks, if you listen to the, if you listen to this podcast, you, the intro is this <laughs> song, okay? And we'll we'll play half of it at the outro. And credit to all who wrote it and produced it. Oh my goodness, this! I mean, really, I, the way they try to work in the phrase "no holds barred" to "I love my brother," it's no holds barred. I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's so shoehorned together. I can only imagine the substance binge that it took to write oh, that God. song. And, and it makes no flipping sense when life gets. Hard. It's no holds barred. Re- what? 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 What are you, what are you talking <laughs> what? about? What? What's, does when that mean? So hard, I guess that I means kids. <laughs> Anything well, goes. That's what Rip's done. Rip has beaten up <laughs> robbers and killers. He's run over people with his motorcycle. He's you know sexually harassed a female coworker at least twice. But as long as you accent it with that hang loose <laughs> hand sign, Brian, it is all okay. Oh I think I think that's where we are here. So. I think we're at the part of the podcast where we're supposed to uh, give our, uh, I don't even know, we can't even call it recommendations. Look, if we're watching this, we figured y'all have watched it or seen it too, so that's out the window. But our popcorn rating for this, uh, in this, and Brian, I don't even know where yeah, to well, go. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm tell you straight here. This movie is so bad that you have to see it. If you're any kind of a wrestling fan at all, if you grew up watching Hulk Hogan, if you're a TNA fan right now and like Hulk Hogan in there, which I don't know how you could, but if you do, go watch this movie. Find it. It's on YouTube. You can get it. Watch the whole thing there. I'm sure Hulu probably has it. Just go get it because you've got to see this movie. This is classic 1980s Hulk Hogan, and it's just so bad it's good. And so for me... That's my recommendation. If you're a wrestling fan, go see it. If you're not, don't bother because you're not going to like it at all. But uh, as far as popcorn ratings go, I'm actually going to give this a medium popcorn because as a wrestling fan, I do enjoy bringing it out every once in a while and having a good laugh. It's it's all it's good for. There's nothing good here. I think we've pointed that out. There's no at no time is this film good at in, in anything. It even fails badly in some ways. But because of that, I think it I think it fails spectacularly. <laughs> and it and it is a must see even if you are not a wrestling fan. If you're a wrestling fan, you like Hogan. You you want to see this for that aesthetic. Fine. And if you're really into like Brian, you know, if you you got Brian's knowledge, I think he's displayed it to you, here, folks. You'll catch all this stuff. It's, it's just amazing. But 
even if you're not, you got this is one you must watch with a group of people because it's the only way it can be absorbed. Because they don't apply. I think I've said before in previous podcasts that if you begin to apply logic, sometimes it really blows the plot. You can't even apply twisted logic to make sense out of any of this. It is completely <laughs> worthless in terms of quality, but it is so bad you must see it, folks. In terms of quality, it's a small popcorn all the way. It is a microwavable $2 popcorn out of the vending machine, but it's worth watching once because it's just so preposterous that it can be a really good time. And I think that's one of the things we've, I hope you've gotten from this podcast, folks, is Brian and I had a lot of fun watching this and talking about it. And we're glad you joined us for this too. Thanks so much for being a part of this episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes of our movie retrospectives at continuousplaypodcast.com. Sign our guest book, leave us a review on iTunes check out our facebook and twitter pages come back soon for more movie reviews and of course don't forget our bi-weekly podcast film strip sessions where we talk about the latest in casting and movie news and notes and stuff like that available for you for brian i'm jay thanks for tuning in to film strip on continuous play right